0: In the summer of 2014, a crowd assembled at Arizona State University's outdoor track. Fellow runners and wandering students couldn't help but come over and see what was going on. Alexander Chapin was preparing to race his friend, someone he had never been able to beat in a 400-meter sprint. Today, however, was different. Today, Alex had a shot.
1: We ran, and and certainly lots of people were watching and looking, and then um, obviously it, it hit the internet and got, you know, a couple million hits. You know, it kind of went viral at one point.
0: This is Professor Tom Sugar, who was there that day when Alexander ran the race of his life. He won. While the victory was important to Alex, a track and field achievement like this normally doesn't go viral. That is, unless the runner is sporting a jetpack. More specifically, two electric ducted fans attached to a custom backpack, propelling the runner forward with up to 15 pounds of force. Although certainly not legal for the Olympics, the system was thought up by Professor Sugar's colleague and engineering graduate, Jason Carestes. Jason was trying to figure out how to build a simpler system to enhance running. And in some ways, the system is quite simple in its design. The jets are little more than electric fans, albeit ones spinning at 60,000 revolutions per minute. They're designed to shoot intense, instantaneous bursts of air through small nozzles, causing thrust in the opposite direction. So how much of an advantage do you get from 60,000 RPM fans? Wearing a waist-mounted version of the backpack, a rider on a bicycle increased speed from 39 to 53 miles an hour. A longboarder reached 32 miles per hour. Alexander Chapin, who normally had a mile time of 5 minutes and 20 seconds, later got down to the 5-minute mark. The whole setup weighs just over 11 pounds and can be controlled with a handheld remote. It reaches full power in less than a second.
1: That was pretty tremendous. It, it is fun to wear, actually.
0: This is Professor Tom Sugar again. He collaborated with Jason Carestes, who welded together the technology. Sugar spoke about what inspired Jason.
1: My student said, Hey, you know, I build all of these really advanced UAVs, and the battery power and the motors are so small and, and powerful. So we basically took um, two electric ducted fans. And then strapped it on a a backpack just to get started, you know, to push you forward. And it it feels really, really good. It just, you know, if someone says you have the wind to your back, it just feels like you've got, I think it's about 800 newtons of of force per fan. And then it just pushes you forward and allows you to run faster. And we built it and it basically allowed someone to run faster with a reduced heart rate. It's a lot of fun. it's not a jetpack that makes you fly, it's just a jetpack that makes it a lot easier to run.
0: A jetpack is just one of many examples of people trying to better themselves through technology. Researchers today are using their creativity to build exosuits, invisibility cloaks, and wall scaling gloves, all technologies that enhance our human capabilities. What drives these researchers? Were they all comic book reading dreamers? Or is a need to imagine bigger and better human capabilities just a natural part of who we are? seen throughout countless stories and legends. Why do demonstrations like Alexander Chapin's burst of super speed on a college track go viral? Why do superhero movies stay at the top of the box office for so long? Here's an idea, superpowers. In this episode, we'll talk with three researchers whose technologies are giving people the capabilities of their favorite superheroes, from Spider-Man to Iron Man. We'll talk about the motivations behind their projects, and what these impulses might say about our interest in superhuman enhancement. A common theme in comic books is the strengthening of an individual, making a person better through intentional human efforts or accidents of science. One of the most famous examples is Peter Parker, or Spider-Man.
2: Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider, and he, depending on what kind of story you're reading, will have more or less spider-like powers. So he's very strong, and he jumps very high, and he can climb up walls with his bare hands, and he can shoot webs, sometimes biologically, sometimes because he's a super genius and he made web-slingers. I like that guy.
0: This is Vita Ayala. Vita writes comic books for a living. Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and Batman Beyond, to name a few. It's Vita's job to tell stories that tap into the human desire to make ourselves better and imagine the ways people would use superpowers if they had them. Vita sees all kinds of ways to use Peter Parker's spider-like powers in everyday life.
2: Being in the city and there's a really long block and you just need to be on the opposite side of it. You don't want to walk all the way around. It's like half a mile of walking when it could just be one block. I definitely would just immediately climb over the buildings like there's no there's no doubt.
0: Paul Steen, a professor at Cornell University, wasn't necessarily into comics, but he was into climbing.
3: I was a tree climber as a youngster, and (laughs) uh, there was always some point where I had trouble grabbing on to what I needed to, and, and so forth.
0: This is Paul, currently a professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering. He's always had an interest in the phenomenon of surface tension.
3: You may be familiar from the kitchen if you have a very smooth countertop there, and you have a Uh, a flat glass uh, pane, for example, that you're you're, uh, trying to clean off. And if it happens to have some liquid underneath it and gets uh, uh, squished against the, the countertop, then you can have a very hard time getting it off. And that is due to the surface tension that is acting around the perimeter of of the uh, little little piece of glass or the pane of glass.
0: Paul and his team sought to take advantage of this idea, one taught in high school chemistry labs every year, to create an adhesive that would seem suited for a superhero like Spider Man. Or maybe Beetleman. After dinner one night, Paul's friend and colleague Tom Eisner wanted to share a recent discovery. It was about bugs. Eisner had just found that the palm beetle native to the Southeast United States, had a kind of super strength on the order of 100 times a person's body weight. This
3: is like you or I being able to hold uh, six or seven Toyota Corollas uh, just, just through uh, uh, gripping, gripping and uh, hanging on to them. These guys are the size of your little your fingernail, your little fingernail. And uh, even at that size, they're able to articulate uh, 120,000 little droplets at the end of uh, feet and these little droplets then through parallel action each of them would give a little tug but if you multiply those tugs together you get the strength of adhesion that uh, was being observed uh, on the beetle scale on the overall scale and this was I found this totally fascinating uh, it was uh, uh, and it kind of rolled around in my head and I, as I went throughout my daily activities and jogging and so forth, uh, I just couldn't get it out of my head and that uh, got us thinking about how we could take advantage of this uh, the surface tension. again, if you put a little if you put a little drop of spittle between the finger of your tip and the table, it will have a very tiny tug. but if you multiply that, by 100,000 times, then uh, it it can
0: be significant. What resulted was a credit card-sized device patterned with microscopic holes. An electric field applied by a common 9-volt battery pumps water through the device and causes droplets to squeeze through the top porous layer. The surface tension of the exposed droplets allows the device to grip onto all kinds of surfaces. What we wanted,
3: what we envisioned was an array of droplets that that would present themselves against the the surface we're going to adhere to and then control that array of droplets. When they grab the surface, they become bridges. They actually bridge to the the surface. And then uh, when you pull the liquid back, those bridges, those liquid bridges break. And uh, once they're broken, of course, there's no more contact. So there's no more adhesion. So that's the release stage. So it's a really simple uh, concept, if you wish. Uh, you can do this simple experiment in, in, in your home. You just take a little drop of water and push it out of a tube, a small tube. And then uh, if it, uh, it, and have a piece of aluminum foil, it, it can grab that aluminum foil and pull it up. And as you pull it, retract the drop backwards, you can achieve a, a breaking of that bridge if you have a couple stays there that just, prevents it from coming right up against the, uh, the tube.
0: Once it's hanging from the ceiling, it's essentially there for good and requires no energy. Paul thinks that someday Spider-Man-like gloves could support a person's weight. He gets that question a lot, in fact. When will these be available? Turns out that they're completely feasible, uh, and it's just a problem
3: of scaling down. So this is some, somewhat a problem of manufacturing, and always it comes down to resources and money in the end. So you know, if we if we had someone who was <laughs> interested to 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 help us out with those resources, we could uh, produce uh, adhesion uh, strengths of the Spider-Man uh, necessary for you know being able to hold a human with with a two-gloved hands. Uh, within a few years. I mean, it's just a matter
0: of of of, of, of
3: getting, doing it, of somebody wanting to do it badly enough to, to <laughs> provide the resources.
0: well, not necessarily providing the funds to make the gloves happen just yet, Vita does have the interest and plenty of ideas.
2: If there's someone that needs rescuing, right, you could put on these shoes and climb up, um, whether that be someone's child that's climbed out on a balcony or some sort of animal or something like that. I mean, it has... Implications for law enforcement. It has implications for fun. I mean, right? Um, there, there are lots of reasons that one would want to climb up and down walls. There are also lots of reasons why you wouldn't want that, right? Parents are probably already having nightmares about this. <laughs> I know my mom is.
0: <laughs> and Paul's not tired of all the superhero associations.
2: Spider-Man
3: comparisons is great. I mean, it helps bring to life exactly what we're doing. You know, we have a, a, a centimeter by centimeter uh, patch that can hold uh, a considerable, you know, hundreds of grams of weight. And if you scale that up, uh, you can imagine, you know, being able to hold yourself against a, a, a wall or a ceiling. I think imagination and science, uh, science is most fun when it's coupled with imagination. I and mean, it's a lot of hard work, but you need the imagination, the dream. In fact, the dream can pull things. We all—I always tell uh, those that are working with me that let's just dream a little bit more about this. So, I think it's got a—it's got a great uh, part in in uh, f- from the scientist's point of view and in how we uh, develop and you know the dream of going to the moon and so forth. It's there all all start off as dreams, but the superhero aspects too. I, I was not a comic reader as as a youngster, uh, but you know this this I I think this is is important. Uh, any, any kind of imagination that is stimulated by, by such, by superheroes is important.
0: Another sought-after, often imagined superpower is invisibility. When you hear of someone turning invisible, you may think of Harry Potter, roaming the library, undetected, and wrapped in his magic cloak. But Vita Ayala, has another hero in mind.
2: I mean, the one that jumps to mind immediately is um, the invisible woman, right? I don't know the science behind that and how they explain that, right? I should, but there's been so many incarnations, but basically she can turn herself invisible and sometimes she can extend that to objects around her and people around her, Um I think very, very, very few people should have that ability. Her invisibility is also connected with kind of force fields and stuff. So she's one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel universe, and she can use it almost like telekinesis. But the power is used primarily as stealth to go in and take care of situations so they don't get out of control.
0: For engineering professor Alan Gorodetsky, that kind of invisibility has not yet arrived. But his University of California, Irvine research team has found other ways to disappear.
4: Some of the work that we've recently done is to develop adaptive uh, camouflage materials that change their infrared reflectance on demand. And what that uh, enables is basically a surface that can acquire different uh, thermal signatures or uh, you know, apparent temperatures when visualized under an infrared camera.
0: After being stretched or electrically triggered, the thin patches of Allen's material change the way they reflect heat, smoothing or wrinkling their surfaces in under a second. This modulation of temperatures enables an invisibility to infrared night vision tools.
4: So you can think of it as something that reflects heat very well and is shiny like a mirror to something that's crumpled um, and, and not as shiny and that basically scatters the heat in, in different directions, uh, and when you look at that surface under an infrared camera, those two states will look very different and they'll have very different uh, apparent temperatures. And that effectively lets the, the material or the device, the system, that we're using reappear and disappear under an infrared camera.
0: The inspiration wasn't a spider this time, but a cephalopod, a mollusk like a squid or cuttlefish sea creatures with the ability to blend into their surroundings and change not only the color of their skin, but also the texture to match rocks, coral, or other items on the ocean floor. By controlling the size of projections on their skin, going from its own kind of shiny surface to a crumpled one, the cephalopods create textures ranging from small bumps to tall spikes.
4: We were really inspired by by cephalopods, uh, which are uh, squid, octopus, uh, cuttlefish, um, are, are different cephalopods. And their specifically their ability to blend into their background or to blend into their surroundings, to take on the appearance uh, and and texture and, and color of objects near them. You know, to it, it's almost some of the things that you see them do underwater are amazing. It's it's like you would be. In in front of a filing cabinet, and then you might have not seen the filing cabinet. It might be behind you, but all of a sudden, it would look like you are part part of the cabinet. I mean, it's 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 just uh, remarkable, remarkable uh, feats of camouflage that these animals can can perform.
0: So the material might not necessarily let you change into whatever color you want, but under a thermal camera, you could look like you have the same temperature as your background, and you could change that on demand. This capability is a valuable one for applications where you might need to control thermal radiation. Think smart windows that need to maintain a specific temperature. Or containers that need to keep food fresh. Or maybe you just had a long day on the track.
4: You know, let's say you're a marathon runner and you go on a 26-mile run, and right at the end of this run, they're giving you these aluminum sheets to wrap yourself in so that you can trap all your radiated heat and stay warm. You know because your body temperature is going to drop now that is different for every person so one person uh, you know might be really really cold and they really want to trap all their heat um, and another person might you know not not be as affected and you know and and might want only kind of a, a lighter covering let's say or something that doesn't trap heat as well so you could imagine a technology like ours uh, in one state, it would keep that person who's really cold and really needs to, keep, to maintain all their body heat, it would trap all that heat and keep it in. Um, in another state, uh, you can imagine technology like ours would, would let that heat out. Um, so, so that would be the, the idea and one, one potential application to keep someone, let's say, who went on a run, uh, to keep them, keep them comfortable.
0: So it's not the invisible woman or Harry Potter, but it's somewhere in the ballpark. And it's an important step in the direction of true invisibility.
4: People use invisibility as a as a catchall for many different things. Strict invisibility would basically uh, be disappearing, and you know, no matter how somebody looked at you, they wouldn't be able to tell uh, that you were there. So I guess this the kind of the the cloak in Harry Potter uh, to me is 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 a great example of that. Right, so you can you can see through the person, you can see around the person, but you know it doesn't. It's it, it's it's like they're not they're not there at all. Um, in our instance, the the variant of invisibility that we have is more about camouflage and more about blending into your background. So becoming so similar to your background that for all intents and purposes, uh, you you can't be distinguished from that from that background.
0: Alan has no doubt that they'll someday be able to develop a material that can change its texture and appearance in the same way as these cephalopods. Changing your appearance to blend into your surroundings, through camouflage or shifting shapes, after all, has been a timeless desire, he says.
4: You can go back thousands of years to, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and, you know, the gods that they envisioned, and they were constantly, uh, you know, telling some sort of of, of story about the 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 gods changing form from one thing uh to 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 another turning into animals you know or someone changing into into a tree right and and that really that fascination has almost uh you know permeated every every single culture and in in some ways it's about seeing what it would be like to be something or someone different you know so it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see that you can go to the middle ages right you have these tales of people uh it's that where, where they originally started of, of people changing into vampires and werewolves so i think it's almost almost a, a a cultural fascination and and so going on the on the on the superhero theme right uh you know it, isn't it great to be anyone or or, or anything you want I, so that's that, that, I, I guess that's why people view that as a as a as a superpower, or that's what most people think.
0: In nature, if an animal can't blend in and hide, it might need to develop a different way to defend itself. Invisibility is one way to protect yourself. Another way is a full-body armor suit, one that's much more easily seen.
5: My name is Colonel Jim Miller. I'm a U.S. Army Special Forces officer, uh, Green Beret. I've uh, been in the military for about 28 years or so, and I have a strictly operational background, meaning that I'm not an engineer or an acquisitions or a program management professional. Um, I come from time spent with 3rd Special Forces Group, 7th Special Forces Group, and other units out there. And I've traveled and been employed uh, pretty much throughout the world in many places with the exception of uh, Pacific Theater.
0: Army Colonel Jim Miller is the director of the task force in charge of designing the Tactical Assault Light Operator Suit, or TALOS. News outlets have referred to TALOS as an Iron Man suit. To help you visualize how the suit works, the TALOS operator is put inside a compression suit that extends to the ankles, to the neck, and to the wrists. The suit's base layer hosts a variety of physiological and biological sensors. Actuators serve as the muscles to power the suit. TALOS is outfitted with full body ballistic armor, integrated heating and cooling systems, embedded sensors, and computers. Bearing this entire load is the exoskeleton.
5: Think about putting the bones of a body on the outside of the body that have all the right degrees of freedom, that have all the right strength to be able to manage and sustain the weight of the payload that we're now putting on that, system in of itself, the exoskeleton itself that goes from load-bearing touching the ground all the way up to the upper portions of the body, be it um, on top of the shoulders or even up to the top of the helmet, because we could seek to provide at least a passive actuation to a helmet to decrease that burden. This is an exoskeleton that provides dynamic kinematic, kinetic movement for the operator. Again, a late athlete moving within a system unimpeded, if not enhanced, that's the goal.
0: The next-generation combat operator suit provides ballistic protection. It allows upper and lower body movement through actuators. It allows health monitoring via sensors and situational awareness through enhanced heads-up displays, displays that can help an individual in the suit find his or her target.
5: And those are the four principal tenets we're trying to get, survivability, capability, situational awareness, lethality. And that's for the Mark V prototype, the combat operator suit that we are focused on right now.
0: Supplying power to an untethered suit is, of course, a challenge. So is reducing weight, given all the capabilities stacked onto the suit. The same with the helmet. Special Operations is currently looking at ways to build heads-up displays that both withstand ballistics and augment one's environment with critical data. It's a holistic system with an open architecture. If a new technology arises, it can be easily swapped in. Colonel Miller and his defense team have not produced a full suit just yet. They're striving to finish the prototype.
5: We're putting an elite operator, elite athlete, inside of anywhere from 50 to 400 pounds of equipment, and we expect him to be able to move like he or she wants, unimpeded, if not enhanced. That's the goal, that's the vision.
0: These technologies don't necessarily provide the superhero capabilities seen in comics, but they're getting close. We have jetpacks that don't necessarily make us fly, but make us run faster. We have materials that give us invisibility, but thermal invisibility. We can use a Spider-Man adhesive, but the gloves aren't in Walmart just yet. It's actually a lot harder than you might think to improve the human being, says Professor Tom Sugar.
1: The human body is is a really well-tuned, muscular, skeletal, spring-loaded system that is super well-tuned, and it's hard to enhance the human. And So I think that would be, overall, my biggest thing is, It's actually quite difficult to enhance the human being because you're you've been tuned to be able to walk, you know, hundreds of miles or you've been tuned to be able to run a 26 mile marathon. So it's difficult to make that human being better. It's it's actually harder than you think to enhance the human being.
0: So in place of super applications are more reasonable ones, less flashy, but just as useful. Maybe we don't scale walls with Paul Steen's Spider-Man adhesive, but we can use it for pick and place applications in factories, or maybe drones can use it.
3: One of the things that I've, I think is most interesting is, is using these for uh, this, this adhesion device, very lightweight, low power, as uh, a place for, for drones to to uh, kind of uh, shelter from the storm, storm, so to speak. I mean, you can imagine, a drone can't uh, has, has a hard time in a gust of wind, a 15 mile an hour gust of wind, or so forth, and uh, so so it might be very useful to be able to, you know, uh, uh, settle and and rest if you wish up underneath a porch or on a ceiling outside some you know the the overhang of a ceiling outside somewhere. And uh, these these, these devices is ideal for that.
0: Similarly, Professor Tom Sugar and his team are designing exoskeleton devices, made less to make us full-fledged iron men and iron women, and more designed to give everyone a little bit better mobility. Instead of a super suit, perhaps a passive one that helps your shoulder when you're lifting something over your head.
1: I think exoskeletons are going to play an important role without the supersuits, just with the uh, passive systems that might help your lower back when you're lifting, or or passive systems that help your shoulder when you're working overhead. So I think you're gonna see these systems being used in industry quite broadly, where the supersuits is super exciting but they're expensive and they don't, uh, you know, with battery power, and battery technology, they don't last that long. So I think that the, these passive systems are going to be used much more broadly than the supersuits.
0: Along with assisting the able-bodied, Tom's lab is focused on improving mobility for people with disabilities. He's especially proud of an ankle prosthetic device that could provide amputees with ankle motion and push-off power comparable to the gait of an able-bodied person. It's called Sparky.
1: I'd say we're most proud of that original sparky ankle, the spring ankle with regenerative kinetics, because it took a lot to get an ankle that can push 250 watts. And then for running, it's 1,000 watts, but it's got to be in something that weighs, you know, one and a half kilograms kind of max or, you know, two to three pounds. That's really difficult. And then that device has moved on to be commercialized. By group Spring Active and um, we're you know, we're really proud of that, that device.
0: Vida Ayala finds it fascinating how much science fiction has driven reality and how comics can provide a kind of blueprint for the next generation of
2: technology. There is really something to be said about imagining as big as you can, right? So we will not maybe be able to do everything you see in comics, but the ideas that get planted in someone's head when they see that and when they read that and interact with that can spark all kinds of cool stuff. And so I think that because comics are also a medium in which you can reach people even at a younger age, if they are uh, able to interact with comics visually, for example, um, you can plant those seeds of what can we do and how can we improve really early in people, which I think is really cool. I find that, comics and, and 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 fiction are blueprints for all the really cool stuff that we can do next and i love using my imagination to try and see where we can go as people and how we can improve everything as people i think one of my favorite characters recently in a superhero thing was Shuri from black panther because she's this amazing force of good and very positive but she also is very ambitious and she's like yes they work but i can make it better why wouldn't we want to make this better and i'm like yeah yeah
0: please given our timeless quest to give ourselves powers and better than human strength it's important to remember the power of the human being designing the technology using the technology or in the case of colonel miller and his elite athlete troops those operating from inside the suit
5: we think about truly uh, what gives us success, what gives us drive, um, it's the operators. It's the individuals that are out there right now, spread throughout the world, from Special Operations Command, from the United States and many other countries throughout the world that we partner with that are doing great things to help secure the world and make it a better place. And, and truly, that's what we're here to do.
0: In other words, maybe the most important part of any superhuman story is the human.
2: I think some of the more interesting stories um... Kind of juxtapose similar power sets or similar kind of abilities against each other and you have the one character who is doing their best to do the right thing and another that is coming at it from a different perspective and i think that that shows how important the human factor is you can use the same technology to heal someone as to hurt someone yes the suits and stuff and powers are cool but they mean nothing without the person.
0: This has been an episode of Here's an Idea. I'm Billy Hurley for Tech Briefs Media. To learn more about all kinds of innovative technologies, you can follow our stories every day at TechBriefs.com. For news about Vita Ayala's upcoming work, including The Wilds from Black Mask Studios and Submerged from Volcomics, you can follow Vita on Twitter at DefinitelyVita. Here's an idea write us a review on iTunes. We'd like to hear from you. Let us know what inventions you'd like to hear more about and email us at feedback at techbriefs.com.